Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. It's the time of year when migratory birds wintered in warmer climate. It is also the time of year when some elderly people travel to southern cities to enjoy the sunshine. In recent years, wintering in Hainan has become a hot topic whenever temperature drops to the level of thermal underwear. Now, China's capital city Beijing is encouraging more of its residents to do so. I'm Lai Ming, and this is Roundtable. Today, with Neil Holing and Joshua Cordrell, we will look at the phenomenon of retirement migration. So, recently, the China's capital city Beijing has come up with a、uh, uh, certain I wouldn't say regulations, but more like、uh, announcements saying that they're committed to encouraging and promoting、uh, this my、uh, retirement migration,、uh, namely to to have his more of his residents to travel to southern China and enjoy the sunshine. I mean that seems to be a pattern here. And also, interestingly, just the night before we start this recording, I had a conversation with my wife. Uh, where we talk about a friend of ours who did procure an apartment in Hainan,、mm. and, and she was having、um, this difficulty or or conversation with her uncle, who wanted to live in her apartment, and, and they were、uh, <laughs> disagreeing and agreeing on who should pay for the furniture、uh, at the apartment, which was not yet、uh, well decorated. So that that was the、uh, coincidentally. I mean, it was a very personal example, but it proves that. People are having that conversation. I mean, people living in northern China—they're really admiring the the sunshine and warm climate in southern China, and they're looking forward to to spending the winter there. Definitely, actually, we say retirement migration. It is also addressed as tidal retirement, where there is an influx of people at high tide, and then they are all gone at low tide. Basically, spending time in the region with better climate, depending on the part. Or depending on the season of the year, and it is something that the Beijing Civil Affairs Bureau, in conjunction with relevant departments, are encouraging people to do. Actually, there has been this document called "Decision on Improving the Elderly Care Service System in Beijing." It is said that in order to build a comprehensive elderly care model in Beijing, the city aims to meet diverse needs by creating a new framework for elderly care. In Integrating home-based, community-based institution and the travel-based elderly care system. That is to say, Beijing-related departments would cooperate with other departments in other parts of the country. One, for example, in Hainan or in Yunnan Province, which is also a place with better climate conditions in winter, to. Co-build certain hospitals, so it's easier for the elder people to take care of themselves when they actually live there during winter time, and also try to see what are some other mechanisms can be established to facilitate such way of spending the winter. Josh, retirement migration is not a new phenomenon where you come from. Although where you come from, people add an I in front of <laughs> retirement migration. They say IRM, meaning international retirement migration. Like people in the UK, if they can afford to, when they talk about retirement, they would look forward to like staying somewhere in Spain, somewhere that's a different country.、Mm-hmm. And joining the European Union has since made it、uh, much easier for UK citizens to travel there. 
but then their Brexit made it uh, much more complicated. But again, I mean, I'm trying to say that uh, this is not a new phenomenon for you. But here in China, even though Chinese people in northern China are traveling probably thousands of miles to a southern island、um, by the ocean, they are still within the same country, and so、mm. they they're probably not going to. Encounter a lot of cultural linguistic challenges where they go. So this is entirely different from, let's say, British citizens traveling to Spain. I wonder、yeah. what would be your opinion or your perspective when you look at Chinese people really picking up this new trend here. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you mentioned language, which I think is a huge factor. I mean, of course, income and afford affordability is also key, and. To bear in mind that in the United Kingdom, it's a relatively high-income country, but still there are many parts of the UK that aren't don't have particularly high incomes relative to incomes in, say, bigger cities like London. And so, moving to a place like Spain is much more affordable for them.、Um, now, when it comes to language, I think this is a huge factor. Of course, speaking fluent English it makes it possible to retire to a much wider. A variety of destinations. For this reason, anyway, it makes it easier to integrate because, of course, you're more likely to find people that can speak English to help you purchase property.、Um, maybe the currency exchange is going to be quite nice, right?、Uh, from example, pounds sterling to certain areas of Southeast Asia, you're probably going to get a lot more for your money. In China, if speaking fluent Mandarin Chinese also It's a pretty widely spoken first language. In fact, it's the most widely spoken first language in the world. It's not the most understood language in the world, right? <laughs> so it's still going to be pretty difficult, I think, especially maybe for older generations in China still today.、Um, you know, people in their sixties and seventies to comfortably integrate into other countries around the world, right?、Um, and I think that so it, it makes a lot of sense that places like Sanya. Uh, Hainan, Kunming, I've heard, is also quite a popular destination、mm-hmm. um, because it's quite mild and it's got a lot of natural beauty. Xiamen, I've also heard, is quite popular,、um, but it makes sense. And also because China is so massive, moving from a northern part of China to a southern part of China, that's a much greater distance than the distance between the UK <laughs> and Spain. By the way, it is right a much greater distance, and the climate is also going to be a lot different. You're moving from maybe. A really cold climate to subtropical, tropical climate, right, right. in some areas. So, it's actually even more different geographically. So, Josh, you really know your way around China. I mean, you just mentioned a few examples as to people、uh, where people like to go. Relatively, for <laughs>、yes. an Englishman, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. Any other destinations that Chinese people would like to go to within the country? Of course, actually, since November, the popularity of Sanya Haikou in Hainan, Kunming, Xishangbanna Dali in Yunnan, Beihai and Nanning in Guangxi has increased on many. Platforms selling tickets to people, selling airline tickets, and data show significant growth in flight bookings to these destinations compared to 2019, which is the pre-pandemic period. And the average flight ticket price to Hainan, Guangxi, Yunnan, all these places we've mentioned, was around 640 yuan from November, showing a rise compared to October. So many people are going to these places. And when it comes to Sanya, which is within Hainan, which is also 
the place that Beijing is encouraging its elder citizen to go. Actually, in 2022, Sanya reported a population of around 0.73 million people with household registration, while nearly 1.0 million people stayed there for more than half of the year, meaning that they are spending the winter time in this place. And I think the reason Beijing is only stating Hainan is because Beijing has been making the effort to establish certain mechanisms. Between the two cities, so that Beijing residents, when they actually spend time in Hainan, they would be、um, supported by certain preferential policies, making it easier for them to stay there for a while. And that is how the policy aims to do. To be sure, Beijing hasn't been very generous in the latest announcement as to how they will encourage older residents in Beijing to travel to southern China to the island of Hainan to spend the winter. But if we look at other examples of what other provinces Other cities are doing. Then there are a few cases where, well, setting up hospitals is good practice, and then policies as to how the medical insurance can payment can be reimbursed. It is not yet there yet, but some provinces are making exceptions for certain provinces in the south, and then also、uh, household registration would be a case. I, for one, have heard that one of our friends. Whose hometown is in northern China had her household registration information relocated and registered in the province of Hainan in a very convenient way, in the sense that her hometown had a dispatch office in the Hainan, and she was able to do it one stop. So a lot of the、uh, support comes in this sense. Yeah, but actually, the PLA General Hospital has a Hainan branch, and they actually accept real-time settlement for Beijing medical insurance holders. So I think that is one of the examples what Beijing is doing,、mm-hmm. supporting Beijing here. Right. So <laughs> when it comes to the evaluation of what qualifies as a good destination for elder retirees, we Immediately, would think of climate.、Mm. I mean, that was the case for a lot of international destinations like Spain and then Florida in America, and then Malaysia in Southeast Asia.、Uh, a lot of Japanese、uh, retirees would prefer to travel to Malaysia to spend the retirement years. So all of this would point to climate. That would be a factor. But again,、uh, the policy support would be. A bonus if there are preferential policies targeting retired. People, then it is going to be more competitive as to,、uh, when it's facing other destinations. So, Josh, when when the British people decides to move to, let's say, the Gibraltar to、uh, <laughs> to spend their retirement, geography is also very good. <laughs> Thank you. So, you you mentioned some factors here already in our earlier conversation. The currency exchange, income disparity would be,、mm. but. Is there anything in the culture that attracts British people in particular to the Gibraltar, to Spain? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's another really important thing, isn't it? It's what do people want, you know, from retirement? And I think that different cultures often want very different things. British people, they like warm weather. They like sunshine. They love to travel to Spain. They love to travel to Portugal. Um, they love to travel to、um, the Mediterranean and to all of these to the Canary Islands, which is you know just south of Spain and north north of、uh, North Africa and the, these places. And it may be because you know we 
are a, an island nation that has a deep connection with the ocean, with the water. We love beaches very, very much. I think that everybody has a sort of tranquility with the ocean, right? I think that it's it's very calming for anybody. And of course, that's sort of synonymous with retirement, isn't it, to be calm? Um, and I think British people, though, we especially love the water because the beach is always quite close to, to you, relatively, because it's quite a skinny island, right? Um, so going to places like Gibraltar, going when we go to Spain, it's always on the coast, you know, these are the places that we love to go to, Barcelona, etc. So... Yeah, go on. Yeah, I think that's also the mentality for those who are actually spending their winters in Hainan. They love the beach and they have already made their decision on doing so, which means that they worry not that much about, for example, their kids or their grandkids. They worry a little bit less about spending money on renting, on living in certain kind of B&B, providing such service. And... One very interesting thing is that when people as such with similar mentality gather together in Hainan, they form their little community that mm -hmm. they can spend time together, they can enjoy square dancing in, instead of squares, but also on the beach. They, yeah, they spend time with each other and they would even form this uh, close relationship, close friendship with people from far away from their homes, yet they would even make a pact, say, that next year we'll meet here once again, then that little community is also quite good for their mental health. So I think that is another factor we're thinking about when it comes to actually encouraging or analyzing the migrant retirement situation or phenomena. Migration to a different location to spend the rest of their lives is a major decision. And anyone who wants to consider that, would want to have enough reasons or motivations to do so. And also, it is a two-way selection process. I mean, why would a potential retiree want to choose Hainan over, let's say, Guangxi province? And what is attracting one to want to make a life-changing decision that is really essential. Internationally, uh, certain destinations, they come up with preferential policies or treatments to attract these travelers. Malaysia introduced the Silver Hair Program in the 1988. It was, again, restructured in 2002 into Malaysia My Second Home. Talk about uh, promotion campaign. So that policy offers a 10-year multiple-entry visa and also gives people the option to purchase property in Malaysia. And I think that is a very, very attractive policy for someone who is from a different country that's looking to uh, spend their, let's say, twilight years in a different uh, country. So what are Chinese destinations doing to attract these relatively affluent members of the society to set up shop or burrow down their roots. 
Well, there are many different kinds of policies or different kinds of measures. To start with, they want to make sure if they like to design a place to be, let's say, relatively concentrated with elder folks coming from all around the country, they would make sure that the rental situation in that country is accommodated to the needs of the elder citizens coming there. And on top of that, actually, they have also been established certain communities for these retired folks. I have an example here, very interesting. Zhang Boda, a retired policeman and lawyer, started a new career in the place he migrated to, and he's providing legal consolation to local residents as well. And in 2019, one district in Sanya established the Migratory Talent Association to meet the cultural needs of the migratory elders. They provides all different kinds of activities for the migrant elders to participate in, to make friends, to socialize with each other. And also in 2017, uh, there was this management service center established also in Hainan for these migratory elders, leading to the establishment of the Community Development Association and Talent Workstation in 2022. Mm-hmm. Policy really matters a lot in people's decision making. I think the British nationals received their state pension in Spain. That is that is thanks to the membership in the EU, and this may have changed because of the Brexit. And then also, uh, when the UK was a member of the of the EU, it was possible for British pensioners to access free public health care to the same level as a Spanish citizen. So a lot of these policies they do make sense. To this is why Spain can be a very attractive location or destination for British citizens. But again, a lot of this is subject to change as uh, the Brexit uh, factors in here. Josh, it is probably too early to ask you that question, but then as some fear-mongering expert said, if you start planning for your retirement at the age of 35, it is already too late. (laughs) So um, have you thought about retiring in a different country and then maybe by the ocean, by the beach? And what kind of destination do you expect to be in 20 to 30 years? I mean, the the present is present and we all should entertain our dream. We should all have some dreams. Yeah, well, I definitely have some dreams. I absolutely cannot say for sure as I'm, I'm 29 years old. I don't have any children right now. I'm not married. And I imagine if any of those things change, I know my age certainly will change, um, that what my choices will be and I'm sure they will be different and I haven't traveled to nearly as many countries as I'd like to so I'm not exactly sure but what I can say right now is that I am planning for it for sure I'm planning for my retirement Um, and I think that I I see it more uh, as planning as investing you know regularly investing and trying to just learn how to or actually make my money work in the long run and I see that as basically my Um, part of my pension and my retirement plan. So uh, I do think that 35 is maybe a little bit too late to be thinking about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to worry so much about it. I think that you just can start to consider where you'll be, you know, or what you're going to do. I think that it doesn't have to be a boring, scary thing. It can be quite an exciting thing, right, to plan for the future, to invest. It can even be fun. 
definitely in the swing of it yeah i think it's definitely exciting actually i have some retirement plan myself as well as you were doing the research for this yes. topic you said oh how i wish my mom would travel to highland <laughs> island to spend the winter yeah i hope she could have the chance because she's also quite suffering from the coldness she does not like cold weather and if she could spend time in Hainan it would be great but as for myself my plan is to follow suit um is to follow some really great examples I saw when I was doing the research, like Lemming said. That is, I can go to a place where I like and just rent a house to stay there for a couple of months. And right. then I can continue to travel to the next destination and stay there for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. So instead of being um, a migrant bird kind of migrant that would travel to a certain place according to the season of the year every year, I would just go with the wind go with the trend and see where my heart would lead me to. <laughs> Interesting. You're listening to Roundtable. Up next, we take a look at some unrealistic scenarios commonly seen on movies and television shows. Can you survive a stab in the heart if you are not the main character of a fictional story? Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. We've all seen it on TV or on in a movie where some guy, most likely the main character, the, the hero of the story, gets a shot. <laughs> it could be a bullet, could be a, uh, an arrow if it's a historical period, then, or it could be a, a stab in the heart, and the hero would rise again and beat up the bad guys and then just just do incredible things. So in some sense, we know it's not true. But when it gets repeated like a lie, when it gets repeated a thousand times, sometimes we might suspect that maybe there's a little element of truth to it. And so today we're going to do the fun thing, and that is to say, to find out whether this is actually realistic in real life. So can we really survive a stab in the heart and then really beat up the bad guys? Um, well, probably not. I'm not, I'm not a medical professional. Um, but from what I've read before this show, I've done some layman research and I found that uh, removing the knife probably is going to cause further damage. And if you get stabbed in the heart, it probably means instant death. So it's probably quite unlikely. Of course, all of these things are subject to, all of these consequences are subject to a, a massive amount of variables, right? Like the, the size of the knife, like where exactly you get stabbed, um, things like this. I know that, for example, there's in a lot of war movies, it's, it's always quite important that they get the bullet out to prevent infection, right? That's one of, right. that's one of the issues I think with certain types of bullets but this depends on the gun you know if you're talking about an old musket bullet which is like a a round pellet right um then it, it often they did get lodged in i know my grandfather had a pellet lodged in his hand for his whole life and he just never removed it right from uh, an air rifle when he was playing around as, as a boy so um it, it really depends but generally speaking to answer your question i think probably not you probably wouldn't survive and um Please don't take any of my advice as uh, 
proper medical advice. That's how I would end my my uh, my monologue. <laughs> Thank Actu you. Actually, when we were doing the discussion about this topic, we talked about whether you should remove the weapon or the knife and continue to fight with it embedded, or you should immediately remove it and uh, maybe that's lie good. down and have the enemies kill you. Yeah, it's it's a hard decision if it's in a movie or in a TV show. But the fact is, a lot has to do with the actual place of the wound. For example, if we're talking about heart injuries, just do nothing. Seriously, just do nothing, and it's not so likely. Even if you're in a fictional setting, it's possible that it's not going to be your lucky day. And if we're talking about a chest injury, well, avoiding the heart is still pose serious risks. Removing the weapon can lead to a collapsed lung, okay, severely yeah. impacting breathing and circulation. And if we're talking about abdominal wounds, well, it's not just about the bleeding, but if your digestive track is procured, it could cause severe pain and muscle spam and making any action difficult. So my understanding is that if you have got stabbed in a fictional scene, just try to, you know, find someone to protect you and lie down and wait for medical care to come. And if it's not in a fictional scene, if it's in real life, a good decision or a good suggestion would be don't remove the thing that's inside you and just call medical support depending on the country, the number depending on the country. Having been exposed to so much heroism and dramatization in the film and on TV series, do you think we are at risk of being desensitized to some life-threatening health emergencies. I mean, are producers of films and TV series at fault for misguiding or misleading the audience, for giving them a false sense of security? Uh, or should they do something to people have a realistic understanding of what they should do under various kinds of medical emergencies? I think there is a degree of responsibility. I think it really depends on the context of the story, the context of the film, the genre of the film, and what's being portrayed. Of course, if it's comedic, if it's fantastical, if it is a superhero movie where the human has superpowers, which of course would allow them to push through if there's magic involved <laughs> and things like this, if it's the then it's studios, different, right? So, yeah. yeah, it's different. But I think that movies... Um, and TV series and um, novels even, they do have some level of responsibility. I think that if you are portraying the scene and the event as reality, as something that would really happen, then, um, yeah, I think that you should try and work with medical professionals and talk to people. And I know that a lot of movie directors do. Um, I have some friends that are actors, and I, I had a friend who... Uh, played a role in a film where he um, interacted with and had uh, a stroke with people who had had a stroke, right? And in order to prepare for that role, he went and spent a lot of time with people who had suffered from a stroke, right? I think that this is really important. I think the same goes for something like this, like a stab wound. I think depending on where they are stabbed, um, the, the directors and whoever is responsible for this particular scene needs to 
put do some research and find out what would happen when you were stabbed in that particular place. To be honest, I think that a lot of movies are quite responsible for it, and they cannot predict. We cannot predict what would happen exactly uh, if that happened to you. But yes, to answer your question, I do think there is some responsibility here. Right. So don't take any medical advice from games, TV series, <laughs> or movies. And uh, one last bonus tip, and that is, don't try to suck the venom out of somebody's calf just because they're being bitten by a venomous snake. I mean, that's probably not wise. That's all the time we have for a roundtable today. I mean, thank you for listening. And、uh, if you haven't heard enough, remember you can find us at Roundtable China or any major podcast platform that you prefer. Thank you.